0: It's good to see everybody. We're going to go to uh, Dr. Luke's account of the life and ministry of Jesus. So if you want to turn to Luke, um, chapter 12 specifically, there's 59 verses in this chapter. And I'm not going to preach on all of it, so, so you can take a sigh of relief. But when you get to those last words in verse 59, uh, pay to the last penny is one translation, pay to the last might, pay to the very last cent. Depending on what translation you have, that's, that's the closing words of this chapter, pay to the last penny. But if you go through the whole chapter, I want to tell you, you probably will have this kind of reaction if you just go through it slowly and think about everything that Jesus talks about. What a wide range of subject he covers. This might be Luke's account of some of the Sermon on the Mount because some of the same language and statements are here in chapter 12 that you find in Sermon on the Mount. But it could be that Jesus is doing this at a different setting and he's touching on some of these subjects uh, uh, another time. Who knows how many times he touched on these subjects? We'll never know. But um, I think you'll... (laughs) I went through the chapter a few times. You, You come away with, to me... It was like, wow, that that was interesting, or thou, wow, that was exhausting, or wow, that's that's troublesome, because some of the things he says just kind of like zeroes in on not just our actions but what is the motivation behind our action, or it could be that some would say, well, most of that doesn't apply to me. Well, I've titled this. Message this morning is Hey Rich Man and uh, you'll see why I titled it about that you know do you realize that most people in the world think you're wealthy <coughs> that you're wealthy um, in 1984 I made my first of two trips to Israel the other one was in 92 and um, my dad went with me so uh, I quickly realized that the Arab people, especially the children, knew three English words very good. They could say it, pronounce it very good. And these were the three English words. One American dollar. <laughs> when we get off the bus, it's just like a course. One American dollar, one American dollar, one American dollar. And our tour guide was an Arab man. I, I don't know whether he was a Christian or... Muslim, he didn't say, but he knew the Holy Land like the back of his hand. And this is what he told the bus of about 40 people. It was a conglomeration of different groups, because we had a small group that I went with, and and he said to us, please do not give these people money. says, it discourages them from working. Now, that's a new concept. What? <laughs> I like that. That might be a universal principle there, but he would he would like just emphatically, almost demand that we not do that. And he would say, "And I'm working. I'm I'm doing this job, and I'm saving to put my children through college. And and uh, wherever where we go, I know the people who are really in need." And I will tell you who they are, and if you want to help them, good. But do not give people that just ask you for money, money. It's, it's not the right thing. But they, we'd file off the bus and they said, oh, the wealthy Americans are here. You know, they, they look, and most of the world looks at you as though you're wealthy because you live in this country. In their minds, this is a, everybody here is wealthy because they get to live in America. We know that's not true. But that's the way they think. So in some regard, wealth can be a relative consideration. Wealthy as compared, we're wealthy compared, everybody in this room is wealthy compared to people who live in Haiti. And I've I've been to Haiti, and I can tell you, there's there's a third world, uh, uh, that third world nations that's out there, and Haiti is not third world, it's somewhere below third world. You just, can't, you just can't fathom the living conditions there. But we are wealthy if it's relative to that. Now, Jesus gets to this subject here in just a moment about wealth and, and what to do with it, but uh, he goes through some things here. We're going to start at verse 1. I promise you we're not going to try to tackle the majority of this chapter, okay? But follow me with me, and I'm reading out of the NIV from verse uh, Verse 1. Hey, rich man, begins now. How's that? Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, the press of the people, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples. And this is what he said. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. You know, hypocrisy is not translated here. It's the Greek word Hippocrates. It, it's um, someone who play acts a role that's not really them. It's kind of like what they call actors in a theater. These are role players. In other words, these are people who are trying to make you think they're one way when they're really... I know nobody does that in America, but it was very prominent then. But he, he says, beware of this. It's, a, it's an invasive contagion Don't let it get in you. Don't let image outweigh the substance of your life. There is nothing concealed, he says, that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have heard said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear of the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid, you are worth many more, you're worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned in the same way, before the angels of God in heaven. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven when you are brought before synagogues rulers and authorities do not worry about how you will defend yourselves it's almost presupposed that you're there under accusation where he says do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say for the holy spirit will teach you at that time what you should say Now, there's different things that he says, but there's a common theme, and this is what I want you to make note of. There's a common theme throughout all of what he says, and the common theme is this. There is an outcome. There is a summary. There is a conclusion to everything, including our lives. He talks about if this is... Let me just go through and kind of sum this up. He said hypocrisy will be revealed. You know, some people do this thinking that nobody really gets it, like they're, they're, they're presenting themselves as one and they think everybody goes with that, right? <laughs> and sometimes you just see through the facade. And he said hypocrisy is going to be exposed. He said the fear of death is not nearly as crucial as the fear of what happens after death, what happens eternally, No matter what happens to you, he says this, that the the final outcome of the situation, if you're worried about something, he says, here's the outcome. If God pays attention to sparrows, how much more does he pay attention to you? That is the bottom line when you're worried about something in your life and God, there's not a bird that falls, falls to the ground. We think, well, how does that? He's God. And he looks at birds that way. How much more does he value you? And he says this, the end game of your confession, of your open confession, if you're open about your faith and you confess who you believe in to other people, he said, the outcome is this: I'm going to do the same for you before my father, before the angels of God. But the other is not a very good outcome, is it? He says, if you disown me, if you if you act like you don't know me and you're not really vocal about me, he says, that's going to be the result. That's going to be the outcome for you, and it's not a good outcome. And then he says, whoever speaks a word against me will be forgiven, but the outcome of whoever blasphemes the Holy Spirit is a tragedy. They will never be forgiven of that sin. And then this is the last thing he talks about outcome. He says, when you're brought in before authorities or anyone who's accusing you of something and and you don't know what to say or answer, he says, just... Depend on the Holy Spirit. Don't worry about what you're going to say. For in that moment, the Holy Spirit, the outcome will be, the Holy Spirit will step in and teach you or show you what you should say. Now, stop that verse 12 to give you a heads up about what is about to happen. And here's, hey, rich man, okay? You'll, you'll see when we get down to the next verse what happens here. You see, thousands of people are all around Jesus. And it really gives us the idea that they're just kind of pressing in. They're just trampling on each other, trying to get close to Jesus. Thousands of people. And in this inner court, he starts talking to his disciples. People came for different reasons. Most of them probably did not come to hear him preach. Most of them have a need for a miracle healing, and they would show up. But here's a guy that is there in the crowd That has a different reason while he's there. All through the life of Jesus, he dealt with interruptions, and he's about to get a major interruption in his preaching and teaching. I remember hearing Dr. Robert Spence at an ordination service up in Decatur at Calvary Assembly. It was a number of years ago. Howard Reynolds was the DYD, that's how far back that was. But I remember, I don't, I don't think Dr. Spence has a bad sermon in him. I mean, he, he could probably do one, and, and it would be great. But he talked about the interruptions of ministry, how Jesus handled interruption. He talks to those ordination candidates about, what do you do when you're interrupted? What do you do when the things that you plan doesn't, something comes in that disrupts those plans? Look at how Jesus handled interruptions. And here's this guy. Jesus is talking about all these subjects, <laughs> Talk about an out-of-place issue, if you're there. Uh, Teacher, would you please tell my brother to share the inheritance with me? And it's kind of like somebody once says, have you been listening to anything he said? You must have been standing there just simmering that your brother's not being fair with you for the family inheritance, and he belts out this hey, will you tell my brother? And, and I really believe that maybe his brother was standing right there. Because how would Jesus know who to tell? <laughs> it's almost like I picture in my mind, would you tell my brother right here? <laughs> this is him, yeah, the guy that's looking real funny right now. He's, he's the one that's robbing me of my inheritance. And Jesus responds by saying, man, Who has made me a judge or an arbiter between you two? He doesn't even answer the question. (laughs) He doesn't even, and from that point on, he he just totally ignores the guy, but not really. Because what he's about to get to is dealing with the subject of what this guy says, but not in the way that this guy thought. Jesus looks around and he says this. This is verse 15. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Did he answer the man's question? Or did he respond to his demand? Yes, he did. But not the way this guy wanted him to. He probably once says, yeah, give your brother half of what you're supposed to be getting or whatever. He didn't say that. He said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not Consist in an abundance of possessions. If you say that real slow, it'll kind of sink in what Jesus is dealing with, right? What a statement. He, he's not finished with the subject. He's he just respond this is his first response to this interruption. Watch out, beware, be on your guard, have your eyes wide open about what? What should you be watching out for? Greed. Stuff, money, possessions. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. I have a, a 1910 copy of Deal Moody's biography that his son wrote after he passed away. And it's in pretty decent shape. I bought it online and went through it, read it. and the Chicago Fire affected the Moody family tremendously, affected his ministry. It burned all of his buildings where he had his Sunday school for kids, all all the things that he had built to do ministry. And that's how he started his ministry. He He saw the streets and he saw the kids playing on the streets on Sunday morning and the church that he had joined, it took him three times, I think, to join it because they didn't think he was ready to join. And then they wouldn't let him do anything, wouldn't let him teach a class. Isn't that something? somebody wanting to teach a class. So here's what he did. He saw all these kids out on the streets of Chicago, and he decided to have a Sunday school class out on the streets. And God began to bless that ministry, and it turned into hundreds of kids coming to know the Lord. And he raised money to build a building. It's Moody Church is the result of that sidewalk street ministry that a teenager who was saved in the, Stockroom at his uncle 's shoe store decided he would do something for kids that were not in church, so all those buildings where he preached that that earlier that evening, he went to another section of Chicago to his home. The fire wasn 't in that section, but in the middle of the night, the embers had went across the river when when the fire went across the river. The word went out evacuate, evacuate, evacuate. People knocking on the door, the fires crossed the river, you got to get out of your home. So they grabbed whatever they could carry, and he saw his wife taking a portrait of him off the wall to carry with them down the street. And he says, No, 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 we're not carrying a few little clothes and books and stuff and a portrait of me. And we're not not doing that. We're not like, hey, what's value? The portrait of me is so valuable. We're going to, you know, everything else can burn up, but not the portrait. But his wife convinced him it was a sentimental value to her, so she took it out of the frame, rolled it up, and stuck it in their stuff, and it survived the fire. All they had, ministry-wise and personal, was gone. Absolutely wiped out. And God restored everything. It wasn't because his hope was in what he had. His hope was in the God who created all that to begin with. So life does not consist. You know, before you get too heavy on possessions, you could lose them pretty quick. And that's what happened to him. Consider the things that Jesus spoke about when he was talking to them about Life does not consist of the things. Life does not consist of the abundance of things. And then Jesus gives a parable. He's not finished with the subject, and this is where it's, hey, rich man. In verse 16, he told them a parable, the ground of a certain rich man. Now, stop right there. I think it's, uh, we need to be cautious when we take parables and make theological conclusions because they are stories. But here's here's something I want you to see in this story that's different. He specifically calls the man in the story a rich man. But in the story, Jesus does something with his parable that's unusual. In the parable, he says that God spoke to this guy. Not that God spoke about this make-believe fictional person. But in the story and it kind of gives you the indication that maybe this is not completely fictional. But I want you to think about it. He chooses to answer. doesn't matter what the inheritance these two brothers were arguing over. Regardless of what it was, he put it in the context of a wealthy man, a rich man had ground that yielded an abundant of harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. His 401K had done really well. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. So the Lord fashions a story around a rich man who is all about himself, an entrepreneur, a very successful man. And you can go back to verse 15 when he says, watch out, be on your guard. He's actually giving people an an example of that. Be on your guard about greed. Life does not, he's really saying life does not consist in an abundance of crop harvest. And then God speaks to him. Jesus interjects this statement that God says to this man in the parable, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This very night, your life will be demanded from you. And and that's the NIV, but this is not a very good rendering of of that verse. If you have like a King James, it'll read like, and God said to him, Thou fool, this night your soul, thy soul, will be required of thee. Then whose things shall these things be which thou hast provided? Are the uh, New American Standard. And God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. The, your soul is going to be required of you. What does that mean? We're going to get to that in just a moment. And now who will own what you have prepared? And the word soul is, is more of a, it's not life, it's, it's suke, it's, it's, it's that soulish part. If you look at the definition of suke, it's the seat of feelings, desires, affections. The human soul is, is so far as it's constituted that by the right use of the aids offered it by God, it can attain its highest end and secure eternal blessedness. The soul regarded as a moral being designed for everlasting life. And here's the last. This is, this is how it's described in the concordance. The soul as an essence which differs from the body and is not dissolved by death, is distinguished separately from the body. So it, it's not life. Your life is going to be going to be what's, what your soul made up. God is telling this man, even though it's within a parable, a principle. He's, he's dealing with this man's principle of life, and what is his motivation? It's about himself. One of the most tragic things you'll see when someone passes away is family members arguing over what they left. Entire families can be split forever over stuff like this. It's tragic when it happens because either a will is not, was not left or in the will, there seems to be an an inequity. And somebody thinks they should get more than what they got, and so they contested even getting lawyers and and all this. You know, when Howard Hughes died, there was like 17 wills that people said they had. Everybody was in line, including the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They had a will. Didn't know that Howard Hughes was a Mormon, but uh, they obviously believed he was. Everybody saw the wealth of that man, and it's kind of ridiculous to watch people jockeying for a position in a court of law as to who could get a little bit of that, just a little bit of that. It's almost like people playing the lottery, just trying to strike it big. One time, one time. And those kind of people are in this story, living for themselves, dreaming, thinking. It'd be great to be like the... What is the... The big lottery that, the super, Powerball. Powerball. There you go. I knew somebody would know it. <laughs> People buying tickets everywhere. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit the jackpot. And Jesus is dealing with that. This is, my dad didn't have much. He had some property, a house, and some some cash. But he put together a wheel. He had his my mom and his funeral all paid for. And I remember him sitting down with me, and he was dealing with cancer. And he said, Charles, this is is what I've laid out in in my will. And it's not in the will, but here's what I want to leave you and Johnny, the, the guns that I have. And he told me what he's leaving my brother and what he's leaving me. And he said, is that okay with you? I said, it doesn't matter. It's your stuff. I'm happy with whatever you do, but I don't see any claim to any of that. That is up to you. You do whatever you, if you give everything to one of the six kids, I have no problem with that. And I didn't. It was his stuff. But he was being, he wanted to know if, that's the exact words I said, Daddy, it's it's fine, but it's your stuff. It's, It's not our stuff. It's your stuff. You might be leaving it you know but really we're just loaning stuff aren't we it was his but it's not his when he died it suddenly became my mom's everything in his name became my mom's and 5 years later the wheels kicked in and they didn't put everything in their wheels there's dishes there's portraits there's rocking chairs there's furniture and you know what we did We gathered one Saturday and drew numbers, one through six. And and then we'd go and then they'd reverse the order, six through one, one through six, six through one, one through six, until everything was gone. And there might have been something like, I got my dad's Air Force ring. (laughs) I could feel the envy of some of my siblings. I knew I was lie. You can't get it all in one spot. You know, we just had a friendly kind of, cont- you know, we contested a little bit. But that, that's the way we did those things. It's, and there's no problem. It would have it pained my father to think that we would have argued over anything. That's the last thing he wanted. But I'm telling you, I've watched families turn to lawyers. Tragic. Tragic. And the Lord is dealing with that spirit right here in this parable. This man was all about himself. And he said, this night, your suke, your soul, is going to be required of you. And there's a second part to that which is really unusual. The word required. It means this. It's not demand. It means to exact something due. Your soul is going to have to give back to God when it's all over with what he gave to you. And everything we crowded into our soul that's about us is going to be the wood, hay, and stubble. It's going to burn up. If we treasured possessions, if we treasured this, we treasured that, then none of that is going to matter. It's going to be burned up. It's going to be required of you. There is an outcome. There's a summary. And God asked the question. And God asked this man this question. And now who will own what you have prepared? All that abundance, all that profit, all the barns would hold, who would have it? Well, the answer is, he doesn't. Somebody else does. The final conclusion is rendered. This is a great chapter. But Jesus, Jesus steps back, and he, and he gives an overview of this parable in the very next verse. This is so neat. He's got all these components. He's got a parable. He's got God talking to the man in the parable. And then he comes to verse 21, and he, and he describes it this way. Boy, you ought to underline this. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves. It's all about me. It's all about what I have. He says this is the outcome. The outcome he's described with this guy, there's going to be the outcome for those who live for themselves. But I love the end of this verse. This is how it will be for those who store up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. What is rich toward God? Well, I can tell you this. It's opposite of this. (laughs) You, You can try to figure out. I can try to figure out what is rich toward God. Well, it's not this. Those who are not rich toward God, what is that? I think Jesus is clearly telling us that it's not how this man lived. Hey, rich guy, what about your possessions? What about your crops? What about your barns? Bigger is not better, rich guy. Having an expansion of what you collect for yourself, in God's eyes, is not approved. Be rich instead toward God. I think it means this. Make God first in your life in your home, in your marriage, finances, relationships, because there's going to be a required summary of all of that before God. You know, we had David Bonner speak at the prime Timers yesterday, the guy that walks in front of Bojangles. You know, Brendan and I had all these questions. We were surmising about him, and one of the questions was thinking, I uh, wonder what his wife thinks about him out there all day. Well, we got that question answered, didn't we? He's not married. (laughs) He wouldn't be out there all day (laughs) if he was married. But he gave us some marital advice. How about that? A lifelong bachelor giving us marital advice. But he was right on. He says, if you end your day reading the Bible together and praying, your marriage will be strong. Rich toward God means everything you have, you see as a gift from God, including your marriage. I've told men, I've told my son-in-law, you ought to take my daughter by the hand and thank God for her. You ought to thank God for giving her to you, and she ought to do the same for you. Because every night, you ought to recognize that everything you have, has come from God. You may, I'm going to caution you, be careful about claiming it. He said, well, through hard work, yeah. There's a lot of people who don't have health to do hard work. So somewhere along the line, it it boils down to everything we have, we need to see it as a gift from God. Now, there's a part two to this message. It's going to be next week. It's going to have a different title. But if the musicians can come to the platform, this is how I want us to finish this morning. I want to ask you today to confess again your commitment to Jesus. I think this is important for us. He says, whoever confesses us before men, he will confess us before the Father. And it means this. It's saying to God, I'm yours. Everything about my, my marriage is yours. Our children are yours. Our grandchildren are yours. Brenda will tell you, one of the last things we do at night, I usually pray with her, thanking God for her and praying over our, our children and our grandchildren. So, the last thing on my mind is asking God. I see, I see that they weren't mine to begin with. He loaned them to me. when we dedicate our children to God, that's what we do. We give them back to God and we say, Lord, you've you've allowed me to have this little boy, this little girl for a set period of time. They're not really mine. They're yours. Help me to raise them in a way that pleases you. And I think sometimes when family pressures and marital pressures and and you have arguments and disagreements, you've got to be careful that a wedge is not being put between the most important relationship you have outside of Jesus and that is relationship with your spouse is to say Lord our marriage belongs to you and we we will recognize that we can work at our marriage but we want your favor on it and we want your wisdom your counsel I don't know of anybody when they got married had a manual handed to them says this is how you are a good husband because I can tell you, I was dumb as a rock when I thought I was smart when I got married. I, we were both stupid. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm just, it was the truth, right? We didn't know what we was doing. We thought we knew what we was doing. But after reading and, and seeing, I realized that she is God's own, and he's given her to me. For this journey that we share together, I didn't have all these ideas. I was like, I mean, I watched Darst Day and Rock Hudson in black and white. I thought that's that was oh, isn't that wonderful? There was no violin music playing when we was washing dishes. Were they? Where was the violin music playing when when our house was messed up? It's like, hey, where's the violin people at? And the cleaver, that that lady, that lady was dressed in Sunday attire, cleaning the house. We didn't know what each other looked like in the morning, but we woke up after our honeymoon like, wow, how about that? Look at us. Nobody tells you this stuff. And somewhere along the line, you're like, I thought I knew what... Was this was all about? And God, you have to show us. Let me. I'm just telling you this morning, being transparent with you. Don't think you have everything figured out because you don't. I don't. And this is where this kind of Jesus exposed what was wrong with these two brothers. He exposed them, not because there was some kind of issue with the inheritance. It was their heart. Something was wrong with their heart. And God sees our heart. We can hide a lot of things from people. We cannot hide our heart from God. We cannot hide the reason in our soul for the things we say in secret and the things we say about people in secret. God is listening. And he says, Don't let the yeast of hypocrisy infect your life. If you you don't want someone hearing what you say, then don't say it because someone is hearing what you say. And that someone is the only one that really matters. Lord, I pray this morning for families that there may be a recent disturbance and there's a, a wedge there, maybe some injury there, some words that were said. But we want to confess to you, Lord, we don't want hypocrisy filtered into our relationships. We don't want to act one way when we know we're not that way in our, the essence of our soul, the, the suke, who we really are alone and private. You see everything. We cannot hide a thing from you. You hear every word and you know every motive behind every decision. And we stand before you saying, Lord, as we sung earlier, hear from heaven, forgive our sin and heal our relationships. Heal us, Lord, from the, the attraction to stuff and the physical things. Help us to treasure more that that's eternal. That's all we're praying for. Help us to focus our eyes on that which will outlast this world to lay up treasure in heaven. For later on, you said where a man's treasure is, that's where his heart will be. Lord, would you touch our hearts today? Would you stand with me? And right where you're standing, if you, especially if you're standing next to your spouse, to just take them by the hand. And if they're close enough in proximity to you, just go and stand next to them. If they're on the platform, go and stand next to them. And and declare a commitment of who you are and your family to the Lord. And men, determine determine today that you're going to pray blessings over your spouse, over your wife.